Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the work with me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, your host, and I'm delighted to introduce you to our guest today, Sarah Pollan of Supergirl, and that's spelled S-O-U-P-E-R, which is a fabulous name. I love it. And Sarah is a former stand-up comedian turned soup maker. She founded Supergirl in 2008 with her mother, Marilyn, who's known as, wait for it, Supermom. I love it. Based in Washington, D.C., Sarah and Marilyn have been featured regularly on national television, including Shark Tank and NBC's Today Show. Last year, Supergirl received a $2 million investment from Arborview Capital and Seth Goldman, who's the board member of Beyond Meat. More recently, the company has become plastic neutral through its partnership with Repurpose Global in a further step to fulfill Supergirl's goal of saving the planet one bowl of soup at a time. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Katrina. I'm so excited to hear about your story. And I've got to kick off with the first part of you are a you're a former stand up comedian. That's a pivot. Everybody's talking about 2020. We're all pivoting. That's a big pivot that you did. Tell us why. Why did you go into soup making? Um, You know, it's funny. (laughs) When I lived in New York, um, doing comedy, I obviously was not rolling in the dough. You know, there were a lot of volunteer opportunities to do stand up, shall we say. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, I kind of pieced together different jobs and, um, but when, when my parents would visit my mom, she cooked soup, uh, you know, for the months leading up to the visit and would put the soup in like single portion freezer bags. And so, and then she just fill my freezer with soup and I would just defrost them. And I literally have no idea what other people eat. So, cause I consider soup <laughs> the perfect food. It's, you know, it's hearty. It's so easy if someone else makes it for you you know, you just heat it up and eat it. And, and a well-made bowl of soup can be the perfect food. If it, it's, you know, it can have hydration and vegetables and, and plant-based protein and fiber, everything in just one bowl. So, you know, I, I consider it quite literally the perfect food. And I, I've just been eating it now for like 30 years, you know, <laughs> it's just, and she, I, I learned everything about cooking from my mom and she's a great soup maker. Also, 
um, when we started the business, we were really committed to cooking seasonally and sourcing sustainably um, farmed ingredients. And soup is a great way. It's like a great vehicle for to, to showcase all of the beautiful um, ingredients in the in the mid-Atlantic uh the, the Chesapeake watershed area, we, we have wonderful seasons. You know, this is not like LA where it's just one season the whole time. We have fall, winter, spring, and summer and different produce that comes, comes with each season. So you can cook, you know, a soup you make with, with seasonal produce in, in January is very different than one in May. And that's very different in August. So yeah. it's really fun to experiment. And soup is also, you can experiment. Like I don't understand baking. Baking's like chemistry, you know, baking, if you get one ingredient wrong, it's like the, the cake doesn't Ooh, rise, yeah. you know, <laughs> and like, yeah. soup, it's like, oh, let's add this, let's play with this. So it's, 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 it's creative and, and it's fun. So and I'm curious, that's good. then what, were there any skills that you've had in your previous career as a stand-up? And I totally get I'm laughing when you said the volunteer opportunity because I did some stand-up myself like many years ago and I totally get it, you know, and I did it as a character. I didn't even do it as me. I had a whole character and a wig and everything. Oh, so wow. it's fun. And But like you say, it's, it can be quite a hard quite a hard slog until you kind of you know make it kind of thing um but are there any skills from your career as a, a stand-up comedian that you have found helpful in running Supergirl yeah um you know it's all about the brand these days to differentiate yourself online you really have to dive into your brand and we I mean look the brand name Supergirl it's hopefully fun and it gives people a chuckle, um, right, right from the start at the, you know, when you see the label. So the, the comedy, you know, allowed me and it continues to allow me to get really creative when it comes to brand building, um, and, and really finding that voice because I am Supergirl. you know, it's not like, um, you know, people start companies and we just kind of stumbled into this. We didn't quite know what we were doing, but we built this brand that is based on a person, me and my mom is super mom. And so the brand is us. So we are able to produce content that's quite authentic because it's coming from us, Supergirl. Um, and so being a comedian has allowed me to really get creative with that content and what we're putting out there. And, you know, in 2021, I think like you, we're trying to just kind of throw the rule book out and just have fun. Um, and it's, it, it, it's working, hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're going to talk about Shark Tank later, but I noticed I think your logo and your branding was praised by I think it was Laurie on Shark Tank. Yes. So you obviously, yeah, got that, that going, which is brilliant. Tell us, let's go back to the beginning um, to start with, though. Tell us about some of the challenges because you started this was 13 years ago. So what were some of your initial challenges when you first started up the company and how did you handle them? Oh, my gosh. I mean, first of all, we launched in the middle of a global recession. 2008. Oh, you did not, too. Yeah. 28. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone thinks about this one, but 2008 was a was bad, um, and that's when I decided to quit my well-paying job. Not well-paying, but like I wasn't rolling in it, but I had a salary, you know, <laughs> health insurance, and um, uh, left that to start this business. Um, and one of the challenges was that I had never owned my own business, so I didn't quite know what I was doing. But um, I would say the way I've overcome a lot of things that I've done in life, some of the best decisions I've ever made, I like to say, uh, I don't, I don't fully think them through, uh, <laughs> <because if laughs> I do, you know, I don't know if I would have done them. Uh, so like, you know, starting this business, I kind of, if I, I would sometimes three o'clock in the morning, sit up in bed and be like, Oh my God, what am I doing? But you know, during the day, you just, you just keep doing, you just keep going. Um, and so I think, honestly, I so believed in our mission of making the world a better place when I had learned about 
I really started diving deep into the ties between our food choices and you, you know how how much they impact our our the the water, the air, the animals, our own selves, the community, how how complicated our food system has gotten. I really wanted to to make an impact and make things better. And once I kind of that all kind of clicked together, it was just dogged determination of just like this needs to happen. And then it 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 just, you know, grew, people responded. Um, and so I just kind of had to try to keep up and learn as I go. And and again, not overly thinking, you know, thinking enough and not overthinking every big decision. Um, and a little bit of just going with my gut. Nice, nice. What about getting into retailers? Because this is, can be quite a challenge, you know, for, for companies trying to get into some of the retailers. So you got into Whole Foods Market, Costco. Can you tell us a little bit about how you did that and any tips yeah. that you can offer them? Yeah. <laughs> Again, it was not knowing the rules. So like I showed up at my local Whole Foods with a bag of soup. I literally showed up with a bag of soup. You should not do that right now. And, and <laughs> um, at the time I happened to walk in next. I just, by, I was at the customer service desk saying, you know, I want to talk to the buyer of the store. And um, I happened to find myself standing next to the regional chef who cooked all of the soup for the entire Whole Foods region. And he got mad at me, but I ended up clicking with him. I ended up just making these connections because they were like, who is this girl that is showing up with a bag of soup? But, you know, the buyer really took to me, like we clicked. And um, they that one store took a chance on us. And then we just added another store and another store. And then I just cold called. I mean, I'm the CEO. You did. I am, you know, Costco, I, I called and I left a voicemail and an email. And I do that, you know, I just am like, kind of like a nag. I'm like a gnat. You know, I'm like, gotta pay attention to me. It's definitely <laughs> gotten harder. There's a lot more competition. Um, there's, you know, especially in it, in the pandemic world, buyers are very hard to get in touch with. They're very hard to get, you know, them to pay attention. It's very, it's very challenging, but just, you know, you got to believe in your brand and just keep, you know, try to find something about your brand or your pitch that, that is a little bit different. That's going to get someone to read that email out of the 700 that come in. It's like, well, what did you just say to me? And so that's kind of, <laughs> you know, what, what we still do. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing that. I know you're right. And that's what I've heard before is that often once you get into that first store, you know, if you're not in any, once you get that first one, you've got your first kind of, you know, step uh, rung, on, rung on the ladder, then it can be kind of easier if you can at least say, well, this store has already taken the chance. So, but yep. you're, you're right that, yeah, dogged determination. So you touched on one of the, I was going to ask you about your current challenges. So I guess that's one of them is getting in front of buyers because there's so much more competition. Um, how has um, the COVID-19 situation, how has that impacted your business? Yeah, it's been very hard. Um, so it's hard to get in front of buyers. And then if, if you know, we're able to get onto the shelves of a supermarket or in the refrigerator, we can't market ourselves in the same way. So we used to send teams out to hand out samples of the product and to talk to people. And that's really the best way, you know, yeah. to, to grow your your brand. If, if people can try it and touch it and see it, they'll they're more likely to buy it and so when you go into a new store and you can't do that it's very hard to get a consumer to pay attention because everyone has habits they know what brand of you know you know juice they like and wine they like and it's hard to get people to change and then it, you know i don't know when that's going to come back because even if the vaccines 
you know, people kind of now understand how gross we were before, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think anyone's ever going to go back to a restaurant, and not like wash their hands. You know, I, I used to, because I'm in the food business. I remember when I'd go out to dinner with friends, I would, you know, always excuse myself and go wash my hands before I would eat. And a lot of people didn't do that. And it's not like they were gross. It's just, it wasn't part of our habits. And now it's just part. So I don't know if people are going to feel comfortable just taking samples from people mm. handing them out at stores. Maybe we might, you know, this might be a far off memory and we're just going to go right back to the way we were. You know, I don't know. And then it's also really hard when people do their shopping online, you know, if they use brands, you know, shoppers that go for them, you know, like Instacart or whatever. Mm. A lot of people just are like, repeat my previous cart. You know, they just press the button. And so if you're a new brand, it's really hard to get in front of someone who's not even in the store. Uh, it's very challenging. So then you have to reach consumers directly and you have, to, you have to get them to go to your website and learn about your brand and then go through the checkout process. So it's very, very challenging. How have you been handling that? Um, well, we really um, expanded our local our, our delivery program so we really you know very we shut down we used to have two stores one is permanently closed and one turned into this hub for local deliveries and we go all over we're de delivering to hundreds and hundreds of people in the dc area virginia and maryland um, every day almost and then we put you know some effort into advertising online to expand our nationwide shipping program so we don't ship to australia yet uh, but we, uh, <laughs> we do ship to the 48 continuous states and um, it's expensive but it's a great way to introduce new people to uh, our brand and then um, we're trying to get creative you know trying to do zoom classes and partner up with other brands to just get people to pay attention to us and to maybe you know spend more than than 10 seconds on our site to learn about what we're trying to do as a business and get yeah. people to understand like no purchasing from us is good that's like a step in the right direction yeah exactly because you I know I think you said on your website you don't include any ingredients that you can't pronounce so right. you've got that it's a quite a good time for people who are wanting to be healthy but also exactly. want to taste yeah delicious food that's brilliant now you're a mother and daughter team that's an interesting dynamic working with family members that can yeah. be kind of really great or you know I've, obviously I'm sure we've all heard of some you know dodgy falling out uh, partnerships or, or falling outs any tips on how have you navigated that relationship and any yeah. tips for people who want to work with family members yeah just remember mom's the boss right <laughs> I mean she <laughs> you know I just like to, for someone to ask of their mother what I asked of mine, like, you shouldn't do that. I mean, she was in retirement. She was, you know, happy. And we've just had the most amazing time, but just respect, respect of your mother. And I'm very fortunate in that she's my best friend. Like, we have a very, very close relationship. And we're able to laugh off, you know, if we, like, start, mm, it's just we laugh it off because we just have such a good time. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to spend I mean, this past year, I haven't been able to, but to, you know, before that, spend so much wonderful time building something with my mom. It's like such a gift. Wow, nice, nice. So there are any tips? And so what happens if you have like a disagreement of some kind? Well, I guess you kind of answered that question. You said mom's the boss, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I think you have to understand who's in charge of what, you know, so like mm, she's in charge yeah. of recipe development and, and quality control. And if she thinks something doesn't taste good or she thinks we're not cooking it correctly, she, she makes the final call on that. But if it's right. a branding decision, a business decision, I'm the one who's really in charge of that. That's my call to make. And oh, so really nice. understanding, yeah. you know, who plays, 
what role in the business is very helpful. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really smart. Very smart. Now, you use the word plant-based, and I, I know we've had this, this discussion. I ask a lot of people this. I've got a whole chapter in my book, Vegan Ventures, about it, and I've written about it, and there's no wrong or right answer. But I, I just love to get a, an idea of why people use, say, plant-based over vegan or vice versa. So you've chosen to use plant-based rather than go full-on with vegan. Tell us a bit about that decision. Well, you know, it's funny. On the container, it says both. If you buy our uh, our product at a supermarket, it says on it, on the front, vegan. And on the description, it says plant-based. I, the truth is, I don't understand the, I, I, I mean, plant-based kind of popped up like a few years ago. And I was like, oh, is this what we're saying now? Okay. Okay. I didn't know there was a controversy. I like the idea of plant-based because um, whether we like it or not, there's, they're, there's a stigma sometimes attached to the word vegan. And I feel that plant-based is more hip and people think like, Oh, it, it's like almost like plant-based is the new kale, which is the, you know, I, I it's, it's very hip to be plant-based. Uh, and so I, I, for me, I don't care. Like if people want to call us or if we want, if they identify plant-based or vegan, just as long as you're eating a primarily plant focused diet, like we're everybody wins, everybody wins. And so I, I just, I, whatever's palatable to people, I, I, I don't identify our company as either one. I mean, we're vegan. Like, you know, I'm I'm staunchly vegan, but that's a personal decision for me. And if someone wants to eat my soup and say, oh, I'm, I'm plant-based on Mondays. Okay, great. I, as this fits in, wonderful. We're all better off for it. Yeah, wonderful. Love it. Great. Now, let's talk about Shark Tank. So you're on Shark Tank in 2018. And you got some quite harsh comments from the judges. Uh, you know, they they didn't hold back. Um, and, you know, a couple of them even seemed to write you off. And I think one of them said, oh, you know, don't encourage it. You know, it was pretty yeah. full on. Um, what did you, like, what were they right about, if you believe they were right? And what did you learn from the experience? Huh, that's a, no one's ever asked me that before. Um, what were they right about? I mean, um, I definitely needed to be, I think they were right about, look, financially, it's very hard to run a CPG business. It's very hard to run a food business. Um, and so they're right. Like you, you need to have, you know, a solid amount of money in the bank to support, you know, the ups and downs. So that's, that, that's true across the board. And also I needed to be flexible with our, um, production. You know, they were very staunchly, if I had said, we're going to co-pack, I think we could have gotten a deal and co-pack, co-packing means, you know, you, you, you contract out the cooking. So you find another facility to cook your product. And the reason I, I, I had, and I continued, I struggle with that question quite a bit to this day, you know, as we, we, our kitchen is kind of experiencing some growing pains to put it mildly. Um, what's the next best step. But the problem is, you know, when you co-pack, you lose control, not only, and I'm a control, you could say I'm a control freak. A lot of entrepreneurs are, but I think I'd like to say I'm a values freak. And so I don't know how someone else cook. I'm not going to be able to say that the per, someone, if someone else cooks my soup, that they're treating their staff fairly, that they're sourcing properly. You know, we are really, really focused on our values about, you know, like you mentioned, we're certified plastic neutral. Um, we care for our staff. I mean, we pay very well. We provide fully subsidized insurance to every employee, every full-time employee. I have the same insurance policy as the person who chops our carrots and the person who delivers the soup. We all have the same insurance and it's all fully paid for. Um, you know, we have our insane strict COVID-19 security protocol. We, I hired a doctor to come in and take care of us and test us. So like, 
I don't know what other people are doing. And I remember when I did visit some co-packers, I remember walking the floor with the owner of one of these uh, co-packing facilities. And I remember noticing that not only did he not say hello to everybody, but they kind of were afraid of him. They like all looked away. And I was like, I'm not having someone like that cook my soup. That's, that's terrible. That's terrible. And I remember learning from one of uh, a, a kind of a quasi mentor of mine. Um, he's a, a distri- distributor, but every morning he would go onto his floor and greet every single staff person by name. Hi, how you doing? How's your mom? How's your blah, blah, blah. Every single morning. And it was inspiring. And by the way, that guy has had the same team working for him for 25 years. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's a bigger, you know, what we're trying to build here is more than just a business. It, we're trying to really make the world better and you can't outsource that. I just don't think you can. Mm, I love that. I love that. So what t- did you get after? Cause sometimes like I think being on Shark Tank itself, regardless of whether you get a deal or not get a deal, there can be some benefits and advantages afterwards. So tell us what happened after the show and what were some of the benefits of being on it? Oh my gosh, I got to talk to millions of people about our business. I had a nationwide platform. You cannot buy that type of marketing. I mean, they say that it's worth like $9 million, you know, equivalent to, um, to be, you know, being on Shark Tank is, and, and then every time it replays more and more people buy the soup. Uh, and it's opened so many doors for us. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times I'll be able to get in the door at a retailer because they know me from Shark Tank. You know, it's just, um, you just have to know when you're on Shark Tank, a lot of people go in and a lot of people go under afterwards because they think that all of their problems are going to be solved and everything's going to. And, and the truth is the Shark Tank bump lasts one day and then, you know, that's you then it's back to business with a bigger audience and a bigger baseline. But like you need to learn, you need to be able to sustain that bump and build on it. And I, I think that, you know, that's the real benefit of Shark Tank of like. You start here, you end here, and then so you're no longer building off of this baseline, you're building off of this baseline, but can you sustain that? Um, yeah, and I think one of the ways you did that and that people do is with um, additional media coverage. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know you got on the, the Today Show, you mm-hmm. had kind of talk, tell us a little bit about what are some of the benefits of media coverage? That oh my had? gosh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, when you pay for an ad on social media, people know that, you know, you are your people, it's not necessarily authentic. It's a curated, you know, the images and the messaging is all curated. When you have the opportunity to be on a podcast or a television show, it's live, it's raw, it's authentic. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's free because it's, it's press coverage. It's people who genuinely want to tune into your story. And so when you get the chance to talk about your brand to a, to a audience that's tuned in and listening, I mean, look, when we were on the today show, uh, we replayed, they replayed our segment in um, April of 2020 and our site crashed. It was a bigger reaction because everyone was home. (laughs) during covid course, it was the beginning yes. of the shutdown and we we were like oh, okay it's it's gonna re-air and we were like oh my gosh <laughs> like everybody's home and it was a segment about us and our values and it was a cold spring so people at home people already sick of cooking they wanted to eat healthily and literally like all of the people watching went to our website and it crashed <laughs> 
Wow, amazing. Now, that's brilliant. I always say that's when it gives you that third party authority as well. Mm -hmm. Like as you say, with an ad, everyone knows the brand is behind it. Whereas when you get that third party authority and credibility, that that can really work. So regardless, and this is another thing which I think is great, but often people, like you said, that you you think, oh, going on Shark Tank. And then if you get a deal, great, everything's sorted. If you don't get a deal, oh, that's it. You know, you've lost the biggest opportunity of your life. And obviously, it can feel that way maybe in the moment. But it, that's not the end. And obviously for Supergirl, you recently received $2 million um, in, in funding and investment to grow your national sales. Um, and as we mentioned, one of the investors is Beyond Meet, Seth Goldman. Can you talk us through how you got that investment? Like, did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did you? How did that all come about? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, gosh. <laughs> You know, we knew we needed to raise money. We wanted to grow. We had proven the concept. I think here we had proven that, you know, there's a market for this and for a brand like ours. And um, it was like a dance for like a year. You know, it was like it's it was I consider it almost like dating. You know, (laughs) it's like, are they going to call? Should we call? Are we calling too soon? Should we get did they they get the message? Should we email them again? I don't know. but there was just a synergy of this, the you know, with Seth and 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 more with Arborview Investments. Um, he came on at the end. He's always been a mentor of mine. He's unbelievable. Um, he's such a supportive uh, person. But Arborview, the, the the group that led the series, they're impact investors. They were looking for they look for companies that are really trying to make the world a better place. So it was a very nice fit. They're amazing, um, absolutely amazing. But it just, you know thinking there's a match is what, I mean, it really is like dating. It's like, it's love enough, you know, is it, 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 you, you think, you know, you have, your values are aligned and you want to accomplish the same thing, but then you got to go through all of the financials from the beginning of the business and you got to go through your processes and you got to go through the, and it took, it takes a very, very long time to close a deal like that, a very long time. And it's extraordinarily time consuming and it's hard because, you know, as a CEO, I just want to, I just want to work. I just want to build my brand. I just want to build my sales. I just want to, you know, work on the company and that, that is working on the company, but in a different way. And it's just, it's a very slow, difficult process, but obviously well worth it because hopefully we're going to keep growing, um, which is challenging right now. As I mentioned in the beginning. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think because some people like think, oh, that's great, $2 million. But like you say, it's not just something that's going to be immediate because they want to comb through, do all the due diligence and so on. And to make sure from both of your sides that you're you're going to be, a, you know, the right fit. Um, so you said you're going to use it to grow your national sales. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like what specifically you're going to use the investment for and why you've decided to use that? Because that's another thing that I think that comes up often when companies get investment, they're kind of like, oh, I'm going to spend it on this. And that might not necessarily be the, the best thing. So how did you come to the decision of how to use it and how specifically are you going to use it? Well, we're still figuring it out because we've already, you know, we tried a little bit and we're like, oh, that didn't work. Um, you know, initially it was like, oh, marketing, building the brand. But um, I think we we stumbled a little bit there because as I, I think I mentioned in the beginning, we we really experienced the most success when we were really authentic with our brand voice and we threw out the rule book real rule book and just um you know communicated the way we wanted to and i think we're kind of going back to that now except now we have a digital strategy coordinator so we're able to hire someone instead of me kind of trying to figure it out we have someone on our team who knows social who understands audiences and advertising and algorithms and that's great so it's like we can 
build this authentic voice, but then have someone help post, guide, analyze the data. We can really make data-driven decisions. And then, you know, we needed to hire a CFO. We needed to hire sales team. Um, and when I say grow nationally, you need to do so responsibly. You need to do so with a plan. And it was we had a really skeletal team. So we haven't been on any sort of hiring binge, but we've um, certainly filled some gaps um, that have enabled us to shore up our processes and then plan and strategize about how we're gonna grow nationally. And what does national mean? It means A, expanding our direct-to-consumer program. So really letting people outside the DC area, outside you know, maybe Pennsylvania, New York know like, hey, you can get the world's best soup delivered right to your door. Well, that takes some money to get that message out to people in Chicago and Detroit and St. Louis, you know, and then also be able to have like, you know, if we were, if we are so lucky to land a few more retailer accounts, which we hope to in the next year, well, you know, if you're going to land an example, you know, Acme Food Company, I'm just making this up. So they're going to place an initial order for 500 stores. Well, you need to be able to purchase your labels. You need to be able to purchase your containers and the produce mm. before they pay you, you know. And so you need some money in the bank to be able to support that growth. And then you need to be able to hire some salespeople who can then go to the Acme, you know, stores and make sure that it's put on the shelves correctly, that it's priced correctly, that it's selling, you know it takes money to support growth. And so when we yeah. talk about how we're going to spend it, that it's really smart data-based preparation um, and strategy. Yeah, nice. Interesting. You said you've hired, you're going to be a hire or you've hired a CFO. Um, why was that an important decision, chief financial officer? Oh, because I'm terrible. I mean, I was handling the books. I mean, and I, I mean, I, I'm sitting right in front of it. Here is the idiot's guide to small business owners. Uh, that's, I read this in 2007. Um, like I didn't go to business school, you know, um, I, I didn't, I had to teach myself, you know, economic accounting. I had to learn it uh, and it worked. But then as the business grew, uh, things got out of control though. You know, it, 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 we didn't have proper processes in place and I'd outsource a lot of our accounting and I wasn't really able to, um, you know, manage these consultants who were doing it for us. And it, it created a bit of a mess. And so when you're at this size, you need to have processes in place, you need to have a proper accounting procedures, you need to have, you know, you need to really have things tied up. Um, and so I needed to bring on someone who could who could handle that. Yeah, perfect. Wonderful. It makes a lot of sense. Let's talk a little bit about sustainability. Um, so packaging is obviously a big problem in the the food industry, uh, even for vegan, other ethical brands who really want to do better, but are just kind of, you know, sometimes the regulations and what's available, um, you know, can't really get around that. But you have become plastic neutral through your partnership with, um, with Repurpose Global, I think they call. Tell us a little bit about that. How are you plastic neutral what have you yeah done? it's it's simple they're amazing it, it they, we basically did, ran a calculation of how much plastic that we put into the atmosphere which is too much and then they partner with area organizations uh, we're working with one in india and they pay folks to re literally pull plastic out of landfills and out of the ocean um and and properly process it either recycle it or reuse it uh, and so we fund that we, we pay per pound. We, we, we ran a number of calculations and pay per pound. Uh, so we can technically say we're not contributing anything additional, uh, any additional plastic because that, that plastic is getting pulled out. 
That being said, I hate plastic. I, I think it is literally the devil. I mean, it has made, it's been revolutionary. It changed people's lives. It enabled, you know, it, <laughs> before we realized how horrible it was, I mean, you know, say it, 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 it lowered food waste, allowed for, you know, a lot of enhancements in food safety. And then I think people realize like, wait a second, you know, this keeps food safe and this keep, you know, it keeps oxygen out and it keep, but like, it never goes away. You know, I think when like the, you know, it would like that ship has sailed, like we're so dependent on plastic and it's a disaster. And so I'm, I'm hoping we are in conversations. They're far too preliminary um, to announce anything, but there, there is some new technology out there on the market that I think might really put a dent into our reliance on plastic. I'm just wondering why Silicon Valley hasn't caught up yet. And I think it's because plastic is so cheap. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, people want to make money and plastic is cheap. And um, so there's not this like, you know, groundswell of demand. Um, it, it, it all comes down, unfortunately, to, to business. I mean, look at like, like Beyond Meat, you know, Burger King, for example, is not a benevolent company. They saw an opportunity to make money. So they added Beyond Meat, you know, it, it's or Impossible Burger, excuse me. Um, you know, it's a business decision for a lot of people. But if consumers, you know, demand change well that's what led burger king to say we we need to look at this so you know it's complicated but unfortunately plastic right now is the only container available that's food safe that can that can really handle our our, our type of product and i know a lot of a lot of companies really struggle with that but i like that you found an innovative way to offset that though so and i think that's really helpful for people to know because obviously sometimes rather than just going oh well there's nothing i can do we've got to carry on using it. it's like okay we've got to use it but how else can we offset it so i, I think that's yeah, really, really I, great i hope so i just don't want people to think that that we've like checked that off and we're cool with plastic we're not i consider this right. a bridge uh until we find a, a different container solution i just don't want right. people to think like yeah class is cool now because we're certified neutral nope <laughs> I, I, yeah. I hope this is just a, a temporary fix until we can really r remove plastic from our from our system yeah got it so just to wrap up a couple last questions um you've obviously obviously sustainability is really important to you you've mentioned that you're very much a values driven mission driven business i know you're involved in other social causes obviously the company's vegan um so you know you're obviously aiming to be good for people animals and planet and i know a lot of businesses kind of do that sometimes it's you know i think i heard a term recently purpose washing and obviously for genuine mission driven businesses like yourself it's really important but i would rather than it just being something nice that you do just to kind to save the world i would love if you could also explain because i'm hoping some of the bigger companies will hear that are maybe not so ethical that will hear this um how is being involved in all these social causes how is being business for good actually benefiting your business it's a good question um and it's pretty easy to answer i think actually because i've been struggling with this if consumers are making the choice between, okay, so there's never one option of food. You know, you go to the supermarket. I mean, even now as a vegan, I'm overwhelmed by the ice cream choices. <laughs> like, you know, there used to be one. It was tofuti and it was, you know. <laughs> now it's like Ben and Jerry's has gotten into the game. I, I, I can't even decide. So when you're presented with all of these choices, the great thing is consumers are getting on board with understanding how important their choices are. And when they're presented with two 
somewhat similar products or some category of products, consumers are more and more likely to choose the company that stands for something more than just giving you the cheapest food or the cheapest product. Consumers are looking at the back and they're not only looking at the ingredients, they're looking at the values, looking at the statements. And they sometimes are, you know, clicking on that QR code and they're going to the website and they're seeing what does this company stand for? Okay, this company might cost 50 cents more, but that 50 cents stands for a heck of a lot more than this just like on sale you know, commodity. And I, I think that as, especially with COVID having exposed so much inequality and so, you know, so many mm -hmm. issues in our food supply and, and our, and our just industrial, our, our industrialized food system, consumers are really waking up to this, to these issues and they're choosing values focused brands. And so if you decide to stand for something and take that extra step, to do good, consumers are starting to respond in a bigger and bigger way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's good to, to show that as well, like to demonstrate that. So make it very clear in your branding and your marketing that you do do these extra things. Because you're right, like sometimes people go, oh, you know, if they're standing in the store, they don't always kind of know, oh, okay, this product is 50 cents or a dollar extra. They just think, oh, you know, the, why is that more expensive? But when they find out that, wow, you know, that goes a long way to, you know, paying staff, you know, fair wages, not exploiting people, you know, in, in other countries, not harming animals, being as sustainable as possible. It's like, it's a no brainer if you can afford to, to then, you know, obviously there's, you know, a growing number of consumers that are, are willing to do that. And like I say, I really hope that some of these big players, particularly a lot of those that are jumping in on the plant-based trend and the vegan trend, which is great, fantastic. And my, I guess my logic is some people say, oh, I'm being overly optimistic. My optimism or my view is that, if they can see that being ethical equals more profits, why not be more ethical? So yeah. I'm hoping that will, yeah, will come. But that's great. Well, I think you're a, a wonderful example of that. So I know it's very tricky now to kind of plan with obviously, you know, uh, everything that's going on. But anything you can share with us or at least, uh, you know, for the future, what your vision is, what your aims or your plans are for yourself and for Supergirl? Yeah, I mean, look, we'd like to be um, the premier soup company in the United States. We want to be when people go into the supermarket, no matter where you live, you're going to see supermarket in the refrigerator, excuse me, you're going to see Supergirl in the refrigerator, and it's going to be a no brainer to buy it because you know what we stand for, you know who we are, and you know what we believe in. Um, and that's really the vision. And so it's just a slog to get there to figure out how to get you know, in front of the buyers, in front of the consumers to get everyone's attention and to make sure that people know like, hey, we're here, we're growing and and we want to be a part of your lives. So, you know, we're just trying to grow state by state, mouth by mouth, spoon by spoon and just keep expanding. Brilliant. I love that. Look, you've shared some wonderful insights, um, Sarah. It's been lovely having you on the show. I think it's been great to have someone like yourself who's been in business for a long time and just seeing those kind of the ebbs and flows and that it isn't one just straight line of, okay, we start here and then it just go, go. It's, it can be, it is up and down for, for all businesses, but you keep going. You've got that, like you said, that doggedness to continue and you've got a very clever brand and you're, you know, you're working on how to, to stand out. And look, you've already got a customer waiting in Australia for when you do go global. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to those. They sound Thank really tasty because I'm someone, I don't really like the kitchen. I will make a fresh fruit smoothie and I'll make a salad for our lunches. But then anything else like the dinner, I, I order from a plant-based meal, a vegan meal delivery service. You know, you, you make it, it arrives, I heat it up, I eat it. That's brilliant. So your soups sound ideal for that. Um, so Absolutely. everybody, please. 
<laughs> do check out um, uh, Supergirl's website. It's thesupergirl.com. And Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Katrina. It was a real pleasure. You asked really, really interesting, creative questions. So thank you so much <laughs> for your thoughtfulness and being such a wonderful hostess. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Bye for now. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. Yeah.